Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you got the Word of God in your, in your hands when you leave here. And as you turn there, let me review, really from the last several months, we've gone through the first two chapters of, of Matthew's Gospel verse by verse, and the reason that we teach the Bible verse by verse is to experience God day by day. Uh, We learned, uh, Matthew really, he first taught us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He He showed us that Jesus is indeed from the ancestry of David and Abraham, proving that Jesus is the Messianic King. Next, we learned about the virginal conception of Mary thus making Jesus both the Son of God, and He's also the Son of Man. After Jesus was born, we learned about the Magi, and we learned about that famous star and how King Herod wanted to kill Jesus, so the family fled to Egypt. And then finally, in chapter 2, we learned about Joseph's obedience in leading his family back home to Israel. So today, Matthew picks, he really makes a a pretty big transition in his gospel here. We're not going to focus so much on Jesus today, but rather we're going to focus on Jesus' forerunner. And uh, the forerunner of Jesus, he's got this shocking and repulsive message that he proclaims. And his name is John the Baptizer, a.k.a. Crazy John. Why is he crazy? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and following. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make his paths straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then people from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan, they were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When we saw many... When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, Well, we've got Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe, it's already at the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not even worthy to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheats into the barn. But the shaft that, that he will burn with fire, that never goes out. And this is the word of the Lord for River Bible Church this morning. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So that phrase there, in those days, it signals a pretty big transition in Mark's gospel. Uh, the transition is from Matthew chapter 2 to, to Matthew chapter 3 because there's about a 30-year gap between these two chapters. Only Luke's gospel really gives a glimpse of what happens in the childhood of Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 2. Other than that, the scripture is silent on these, on these three decades. Now, there, there are some extra biblical writings that tell Jesus about some of these crazy stories as he was growing up. Um, keep in mind, those things are all fiction. Uh, don't fall for them. Don't even get confused by them. Um, Luke chapter 2 is the only scripture that we have as Jesus as a boy. So verse 1 continues here. In those days, John the Baptist came. So John's name, it means God is gracious. John is also Jesus's cousin. So let's, let's start with John's parents here. Luke's gospel tells us that John's father was a priest named Zechariah. John's mother was Elizabeth. And we learn about the character of John's parents in Luke's gospel. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 1 verse 6. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that John's parents were perfect, because they're not. Uh, they are sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, just like you and me. But they are righteous, meaning that they do live according to God's law. They do have a heart for God's people. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have a problem. In verse 7, they have no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. So in other words, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old. Their days of praying and hoping for a child, those days are long past, at least so they think. That is until Zechariah goes to work one day in the temple. Uh, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, and when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. He had overcome with fear. But the angel said to, to Zechariah, he said, don't be afraid, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're, you're going to name him John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord and their God. And John will go before him. So John's going to go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord 
a prepared people. So after John was born, Zechariah prophesied this about John. He said this in verse 76. He said, and you child, you will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then Luke goes on to say that in verse 80, that the child grew up, he became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So that's John. That's a brief overview of John. His conception was miraculous. He was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. He was called great in the sight of God. Wow. And as we're going to find out here, he has this amazing job to do. John leaves the priesthood and he becomes a Baptist. (laughs) Who would ever think? John is the one who announces the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is God among us. So back to to Matthew here in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist, he came preaching. He came preaching. That, That word preaching there, it means to herald. So it was John's duty to loudly proclaim the arrival of the king of kings through the medium of preaching. Now, preaching, guys, I mean, who wants to listen to that? The apostle Paul recognizes this. He recognizes that nobody wants to hear somebody preach. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.20, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of of what is preached. So dear friends, please make no doubt about it. People are saved through the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Think about the first time you heard a preacher talk about spiritual things. Did you believe it right away? Maybe, some of you. Most of you, probably not. See, people are saved not by listening to a pulpiteer talk about lessons for your best life now. People don't learn the truth by listening to a Sunday morning pep talk, some kind of sermonette for Christianettes. That, that, that's not what God's word's about. God has chosen preaching as the primary mechanism to save souls. Preaching, that includes the forgiveness of sin through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That kind of preaching offers eternal life in heaven. Everything else, guys, equals eternal death in a very real place called hell. Now, this is amazing because John spends most of his life in the desert preparing for a ministry that's going to last about six months. When God told John to go preach, John went. See, John's obedience is similar to Joseph's from last week. However, unlike Joseph, where Scripture doesn't record one word that he said, we know exactly what John says. So back to verse 1 here. In those days, John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John was not a VIP in the world's eyes. 
God did not send him to Jerusalem. He didn't send him to the city. He sent him to the desert. Isn't it amazing what happens when we get out of the hustle and the bustle of the city? Out of the noise of the city? And you just spend some time alone in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, where it's quiet. Maybe even a little green. Maybe you take a hike, maybe you, you rent an Airbnb for the weekend. Getting away from the noise of the world, it, it does your soul good, doesn't it? You get to turn off your phone, you get to unplug yourself. That's how John lived for 30 years of his life. John lived in the desert, probably in a community of people called the Essenes. The Essenes, they're the ones that uh, wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when, jo- when God said, go to John, John didn't go to the city. He preaches in his own backyard. So in other words, John doesn't go to where the people are. God brings people to him. It's been said that you're responsible for your own spiritual death depth, and God is responsible for spiritual reach. That's a beautiful sign of the cross. You're responsible for your own spiritual depth. God is responsible for your spiritual reach. So what's John preaching? Why would people come uh, from the city to listen to him preach? Why are they traveling uh, for days at times to hear this man in the desert? Well, verse 2 tells us, he says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So not only is John preaching, which is offensive by itself, he's preaching repentance to the Jews. John's message is a message of judgment. So John's sermon, pretty simple. He says, look, guys, you're spiritually broken. You're in the same spiritual condition as the Gentile pagans. The Gentile pagans, that's you and me. You're in need of a savior, Jesus Christ. You have no right to the kingdom unless you repent and are born again. Now keep in mind, you know, God has been silent since the prophet Malachi. The Jews have not had a prophet in over 400 years. And one of the last things that Malachi says is in Malachi 4, 5. He says, look, guys, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So in other words, you better pay attention to what this man has to say. You better do as the prophet Elijah, a.k.a. John the baptizer says. Now, repentance is not what Israel expected to hear. They, they expected to hear the same thing that false preachers preach today. Health wealth, and prosperity. But see, the problem is, is that the nation sinned. The nation of Israel sinned, and they needed to repent. The religious leaders of the day, they were supposed to lead in this way. They were supposed to preach this message of repentance, but they didn't. They refused. Now, aren't you glad that we don't have this problem today? That on any given Sunday, every church in every city, in in every state in America is preaching Repent. Can you think of anything else that is so offensive? Let me ask you this. Why is it then, when we find this word repent repeated so often in our Bible and not in our churches? 
Why is it so hard for a preacher today to say the word repent? Somebody once said this. They said, the problem with Christian preachers today is that nobody wants to kill them. Just so happens at the end of six months of ministry, John, he gets his head lopped off, doesn't he? Back to verse 2, John says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what is so offensive about repentance anyway? Well, to be told to repent, it means, it assumes that you've been living your entire life the wrong way. And the moment that we hear that, we, we are immediately offended. Because we, we, we all think we're, we're good people. Are you a good person? The world says yes. And you're most likely to agree. Hmm. But how do you know for sure? How do you know that you're a good person for sure? Let's do a little pop quiz this morning. You ready? Let's find out if you're a good person. Four questions on the board, 25 points apiece. Are you ready? Have you ever told a lie? So what's that make you? A liar. Just like me. Question number two. Have you ever stolen anything? No matter how small the cost, it doesn't matter if it's a paper clip or just time from your employer. So what's that make you? A thief. Actually, it's a lying thief. <laughs> Just like me. Question number three. Have you ever looked at someone or something with lust? What's that make you? An adulterer. Actually, a lying, thieving adulterer. Just like me. Question number four. Okay, so we're zero for three. Let's see if we can round up number four here. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? What's that make you? Adulterous blasphemer. Just like me. Now, in all seriousness, those four questions, do you think you're still a good person? We've all scored a zero on the quiz, right? And on judgment day, is God going to find you innocent or guilty? Guilty. Heaven or hell. See, this is why repentance is so offensive. Re re repentance requires, number one, a realization that you're a sinner. Number two, a sorrow for our sin. Number three, a decision to turn from that sin and to turn towards God. And then fourthly, to bear good fruit for the rest of your life, proving that you've lived a life of repentance. So in other words, John is saying here, when he says repent, he's saying you got to be converted. Jesus said this to the greatest teacher of Israel. His name was Nicodemus, and he said this. He says, Nick, truly I tell you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says again in verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. It remains flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, we as humans, we are clueless about spiritual things. Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, he says, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. So in other words, you don't believe what God has to say about spiritual matters. You think you have a better way. And in verse 12, Jesus says, if I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe those, well, how will you believe if I've told you about heavenly things? You've never been to heaven. How do you know what heaven's like? And he says that in verse 13. He says, no one's ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. And that's the son of man. That's Jesus. So in other words, it doesn't matter how much secular schooling that you have. It doesn't matter how much philosophy that you know. It doesn't matter what your version of truth is. You're human which means that you're made of dust and it's impossible for you to please God at any level. There's nothing spiritual about dust. People made of dust don't go to heaven. Heaven exists because that's where Jesus is, right? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus. And to enter into the kingdom of heaven, God says, you got to repent. And like it or not, That's why Jesus kept saying to Nicodemus, truly I tell you. Come on, Nick, I'm telling you the truth here. Now, repentance is more than regret. It's more than sorrow for your sin. And we see this concept in the story of Jacob and Esau. Hebrews 12, 17. For you know that later when Esau, he wanted to inherit the blessing but he was rejected. Why? Why was he rejected? He even saw it with tears. He was rejected because he didn't find an opportunity for repentance. To repent, it means to turn around, and Esau didn't do that. Esau refused to repent, even though it looked like he he was sorry emotionally. He didn't repent spiritually. Choosing to repent, it means to stop thinking and doing what you've always thought about and done. Dear friends, we haven't broken a law. We've broken every law. Repentance requires a total transformation of your mind and of your will. It's not a minor change, and it's not a temporary change. It's a change from from wrong to right and from sin to holiness. Yes, repentance involves sorrow, no, no doubt about there, but see, it doesn't stop there. Uh, a, a repentant person is a person of perpetual change. Their thinking, their desires, their conduct, everything about them changes for the glory of God slowly and over time. So John the baptizer, he preaches repentance. So what happens when a preacher preaches repentance like this? What happens? Well, two options, right? People either kill him or people actually repent. And these two options are why we see so much violence and church growth at the same time in the book of Acts. Peter is preaching to the crowd. Let me show you this. Acts 2.37. When they heard the gospel, when they heard it, they were pierced to the heart and they said, brothers, what should we do? 
And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 3.19, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Again, Acts 5.31, God exalted this man Jesus to his, to, the, to his right hand as the ruler and the savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Again, Acts 8.22, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, that your heart's intent may be forgiven. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's preaching in Athens, Greece, and he says this in Acts 17. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus, that he has appointed. He has provided proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead, and in verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection, of the, de- uh, the resurrection of the dead, some people began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again on this matter. So, yes, repentance is a, a message that the world needs, but repentance is also a message that the church needs. Do you, do you remember the, uh, the seven letters that the, the churches in Revelation received from, from Jesus? Chapters 2 and 3. The Lord Jesus wrote these letters uh, through the Apostle John. Five of the seven letters include repentance. So the church in Ephesus, Jesus says this. Remember then how far that you guys have fallen, you need to repent and do the works that you did at first. To the church in Pergamum, he says, repent, otherwise I'm going to come to you quickly. To the church in Thyatira, he says, I gave her time to repent. She doesn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. To the church in Sardis, Jesus says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. To the church in Laodicea, he says, you guys, you guys say this. You, you say, I'm rich. I become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't realize. You have no clue how spiritually bankrupt you are. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So in other words, Jesus is saying, repent. Now, I wonder what the Lord Jesus would say to River Bible Church in Cottonwood, Arizona today. He'd say the same thing, wouldn't he? So God has told us to repent through the prophet John. Now, why? We gave some reasons why, but the text is very specific here. Back to verse 2. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John tells us to repent because God's heavenly kingdom has arrived on earth. God himself is now walking alongside mankind. The Lord's anointed is among sinners. So God's presence is what all the Old Testament prophets prepared Israel for. And now John is telling us that God has finally arrived. So think about this. If John says that God's kingdom is now, what does that mean for us as sinners? Dear friends, this is not good. This is not a time of 
rejoicing. It's a time of terror. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said when when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on his throne? Isaiah 6.1, look at this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other, and he said, Holy, holy, holy. His his glory, it fills the whole earth, and the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the whole temple was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said this, he said, woe, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the king. I've seen the king of kings, the Lord of armies. See, the prophet, the, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his, his splendor and his glory. And Isaiah knew that he was about to die because a sinner does not stand in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. Sinners cannot stand in the presence of God. And that's what John is trying to communicate here through his preaching. Because we are sinners, we have to repent. So back to verse 2. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. What exactly is the kingdom of heaven? Well, think of God's kingdom as Jesus' perfect rule and his reign. When we repent, when we believe, and, and when we submit to God's word... We embrace God's kingdom. It's been said that Jesus' kingdom is is both present and future. It's now and not yet. It's Jesus' rule and his reign. And verse 3, For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one is crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. So John is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Why is is John crying out in the wilderness? He's crying out in the wilderness because he knows time's short. There is an urgency for this message of repentance to be shared by everybody. You know, I, I think the prodigal son is a really good illustration of repentance. His son... Ask his rich daddy for an inheritance early. So the young man, he takes all the money and he wastes it on prostitutes. So he quickly runs out of money. And then he takes a job feeding pigs, of all things. And it's only then when the light bulb goes off, right? He starts asking serious questions about his life. What on earth am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? This this young man is so poor, he's so broke, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. And then he finally realizes he's about to die, and he thinks to himself, you know what, I I know what I'm going to do. I I need to go back to my dad. I need to confess my sin. I need to change my ways. And dear friends, that's a beautiful picture of repentance. 
Many other prophets warned people about this message. But see, most of Israel was not prepared for John's message. It's shocking. It's insulting. It was unexpected. It's unacceptable. And it was inconceivable to them that they too, that they too had to repent. Because they're God's people. They're, they're the Jews. They're Israel. They're the chosen ones. They thought that all they had to do was just to wait for God's kingdom because of their ancestry. Now, has anything changed today? We may not live in Israel. We may not be Jewish. But don't we have the same attitude as Americans? Aren't we not just as entitled as the Jews? Oh, come on, Dustin. God, God's a God of love, and he just loves everybody. He loves me so much. He's not going to send anybody to hell. Especially me, I, you know, I'm his favorite. Is that what God says in his word? So this is the part of the sermon where God offends everybody. Because it's one thing to say repent as a general statement, right? It's one thing to say repent. It's another thing to say repent to specific sins. And God gives us plenty of examples in his word. Let me show you 1 Corinthians 6, 9. God says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? In other words, you either choose to repent or you're choosing hell. And he says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled here, guys. Don't believe the world's lies. God tells us, Right here in his word, he says, he tells us what happens when we choose not to repent. He's not hiding anything from anyone. And he starts off by saying, no sexually immoral people. No sexually immoral people are going to heaven. Dear friend, if you're sexing it up with anyone and everyone, that will let you. God is saying, choose repentance or you're choosing hell. If you're watching pornography, if you're watching rated R movies that are filled with lust and sexuality, if you're doing things to yourself and your body that are sexual in nature, God says, stop and choose repentance or you're choosing hell. No sexually immoral people, no idolaters, idolaters. Anyone or anything that stands in the way of God taking first place in your life is called idolatry. If God is not the number one priority in your life, God says, stop and choose repentance. Make him the priority or you're choosing hell. No sexually immoral people, no idolaters, no adulterers. If you're married and you're having sex with other people, God says, stop it. Just stop it and repent and choose heaven. If not, you're choosing hell. No sexually immoral people, no idolaters, no adulterers, or males who have sex with males. Dear friends, there's no such thing as a gay Christian. There's no such thing as gay marriage. There are Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. Absolutely. But God says that if you're having sex with someone of the same sex, stop it and repent. 
or you're choosing hell. He goes on in verse 10, he says, no thieves. God says you can't steal other people's property and get away with it. No matter how small the amount, there's no such thing as, as petty theft in the kingdom of God. So God says, stop stealing and repent or you're choosing hell. He goes on to say, greedy people. We can't have an excessive desire for anything. God calls this coveting. We can't live our lives always wanting more and more and more and never being satisfied. Always consuming, never giving anything back. Because greed, it leads to all sorts of other sins. Gambling and materialism and selfishness. And God says greedy people, they need to turn and repent. You choose repentance or you choose hell. He goes on to say drunkards. Dear friends, what you're looking for is not at the bottom of that bottle. Another drink, another glass will not solve your problems. It won't. So God says, stop drinking, repent, or you're choosing hell. Verbally abusive people, do you have a quick tongue? Are you sarcastic? Is there an edge to your speech? Or maybe you like to yell and and scream at people. Verbally abusive people are control freaks. And that's why they're verbally abusive. And God says, stop it. Stop it. Close your filthy mouth and repent of all of these things or you're choosing hell. And then finally, he says, or swindlers. None of these, none of these types of people will, will inherit God's kingdom. A swindler is someone who is a destructive robber. He's a violent thief. And God says, stop your violence, stop your stealing, and please repent. Choose repentance or you're choosing hell. Now, that's a pretty good-sized list. It's not the only list in Scripture like that. God repeats himself time and time again. Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, they all say the same thing. But, you know, if we stop here, we're going to leave here today more angry and more irritated than we already are. So let's read uh, verse 11 here. Because God tells us, he tells us to repent of these specific sins. Verse 11 says this, he says, some of you used to be like this. But you, circle that, but you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So how are we washed? How are we sanctified from our sin? How can a sinner stand in the presence of a holy God? Only by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now I've got two closing thoughts here. The first thought is for the church. Dear friends, the most loving thing that you can do is to tell somebody to repent. The most loving, the most caring, the most godly thing that you can do is to share this message, the gospel message. My second thought is for those of you who don't believe. Dear friends, I'm begging you to write down this next verse. I'm begging you to do some business with God today. God's word, it it means eternal life 
or eternal death. And I, I plead that you would repent. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, see, circle that word if. It's a conditional statement. You either do or you don't. It's your choice. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So for those of you who have sat through this, this sermon, or, or maybe you're watching the video or you're listening to the podcast, and yet these words from God have only made you more angry and a little bit hardened, please know that these words are from God. Straight from his text, it's his last plea to you. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ as a substitute for your sins, then you will pay for your sins in a very real place called hell. And I can't help but think that these words spoken to you today by God will also be ringing in your ears for all of eternity. Dear friends, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Father in heaven, it doesn't get any more weighty than today's passage. Father, I, I pray that you continue to meet us where we are and that we do not ignore this message of repentance this very day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.